grateful that you're here. We're in our last week of our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Now, um, we're going to take an offering uh, later on in the service. So you guys in the back, if you don't see me take an offering and closing out, just throw a stick at me or something, okay? <laughs> we're going to take an offering at the end of the service. So you could be in worshipful uh, prayer as to how God will lead you in that offering. Grateful, worshipful prayer. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was growing up, the best that we could hope for was like a union job or a city job, which were kind of like the same things. I wonder if you guys grew up in the same kind of neighborhood I grew up in. Like you had made it if you were like a postman or like a garbage man or like if you had like a city, because you had benefits, you had security. And so you could imagine my amazement when I was offered a union job. Now that was shocking to me because I had a sixth, the last grade that I had officially graduated was the sixth grade. After the sixth grade, the wheels fell off, uh, found alcohol, found um, all sorts of other stuff, and made some horrible decisions in my life. Well, I had two kids. I was offered this job, this union job, which was like the mecca of uh, my life. I was like, wow, this is great. I'll be able to be taken care of, take care of my family. And so it was no surprise when I got there that there was a bunch of other guys who had grown up in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. Not the same neighborhood, but the same type of neighborhood. They grew up in that neighborhood, and they knew that they needed that union job if they were going to have security and all that. Well, there was 30 of us, and we were fighting for five positions. So I knew that I had to outwork, outsmart, do all that stuff with everyone. And I grew up in my household. And so we, you know, my dad was a hardworking dude for, well, for the time that he stayed with us. And so I went there and I outworked everybody. I literally put over a hundred officially, like clock in, clock out, not like transportation, not lunch, I officially put over 100 hours, 103 hours a week. You know what you do if you're working 103 hours a week? I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't shower, because it would take too much time. You don't, you take, it makes sense to take naps during red lights. That's how crazy 103 hours. There's only 168 hours in the week. And then you count like 103 hours, and then you count the hour there, the hour back, the lunch hour, all that other stuff. It was barely making three hours of sleep uh, a night. Well, I had a solution, right? I had given up going to church I had given, so that I could do this. You know why? Because the thing that was most important, the thing that was most vital to me was getting this job because it represented finances and security. I gave up making meetings, I gave up going to church, I gave up everything so that I could go. I literally went to sleep on the, does anybody know why in the Williamsburg Bridge, the wall goes like this and then it kind of slopes in? I found out because I went to sleep on the Williamsburg Bridge and like four or five times. And when you drive on it and you, instead of hitting the wall, smack dab, 
your car raises, which wakes you up. And that's, that's why that thing exists. It's not a straight wall. It's a, it's a little slope. So I gave up everything, except I had this one responsibility during the, the middle of the week. It was a double shift. And it was uh, to be a doorman. And that was like even better, right? Because I was, I was manual labor, but now this was doorman, so I tried to do that. So I did that, and as a doorman, there was this time between three and like five in the morning where it was absolutely dead. It was like two hours, nobody's walking in and out, right? So I brought some stuff that I loved. I loved playing the guitar, so I had this tiny guitar. So I bring the guitar to play the guitar, no kidding, because I knew nobody was going to be there. I had a journal that I wrote in that I did step work in. I brought that in, too, because that was fun for me. I put all the things. I had speakers on tapes, so I wasn't able to make meetings, so I would listen to it. All the things that I loved and all the things that I enjoyed, I put in that little bag. And so I, that's what I would do. And so one day, I went there, put the bag on top of the car, got myself situated, told my wife goodbye, closed the door, drove off. As I'm going to work, somebody's yelling at me. And I figured that I had cut them off or did something terrible. And so I wasn't going to stop because I wasn't in any mood for a fight. And so I just ignored him. And then there was like a second person who did that, started yelling at me. And I was like, wow. They, I mean, what am I doing? I must be really tired. I must be cutting people off all over the place. I kept on driving. I was just about to get to the Williamsburg Bridge when the sort of spirit of God spoke to my heart. and said, I said, man, maybe there's something wrong with the car. I should probably stop. I said, I'll stop when I get over the Williamsburg Bridge, that first red light when you get over the Williamsburg Bridge. I said, I'll stop when I get there. And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and says, Edwin, sometimes you just have to stop. Sometimes you just have to stop. I was like, yeah, 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 I'll stop when I get over the Williamsburg Bridge. <laughs> and so I, I got over the Williamsburg Bridge. I stopped. I looked around the car. Everything was fine. I got there, went to my thing, waited till 3 o'clock in the morning, then went to my locker to get my bag full of all the stuff that I love. And, and it wasn't there. You know what happened, right? It was on top of the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I lost everything that I loved. That gave, like, filled me up. Not everything that I loved, like I didn't lose my children or my wife, but the stuff that filled me up, that gave me joy. See, when you put something First, when you put something as the most important thing in your life, everything else in your life fits on the altar of that thing. Everything fits on the altar. Whatever you put number one in your life, everything sacrifices itself for the sake of that one thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps uh, you found a lover, and you have your kids, and you're not getting any younger, and you go, well, he's not Mr. Right, but he's Mr. Right now, and so, <laughs> and I'm not getting any younger, so I'll go ahead and join myself to him, even though I know it's not the best move for me. And it hurts, and you put your kids on that altar, you put your house on that altar. You put your joy and your life on that altar. For others, 
the most important thing on their life is their youthful appearance, their looks, how much they weigh, what they wear, how they look. And everything gets put on the altar of that. So if you eat a meal and then you shove a pencil or your finger down your throat in order to throw it up, that makes perfect sense. Because everything is on the altar of this most important thing, youthful beauty. For others, it's your finances. It's your wealth. Everything fits on the altar of wealth. But you have to know this. Whatever is the most important thing in your life, you sacrifice everything else for. That's important because that's the last hard saying that we're going to talk about this year. Next year we'll do another hard sayings of Jesus and I'll pick another seven. There's like 50-something of them. And so I'll pick another seven and we'll go through that. But I want you to know that the number one thing that goes on the altar when you love something disproportionately, the number one thing is your relationship with Jesus. It's the number one thing that goes on the altar. And do you know what the number one thing is? The number one thing that you have that's the number one heavyweight contender for your affections for Jesus. Do you know what it is? It's your stuff. It's your wealth. You go, I don't have anything. Uh, It's your wealth. I don't don't own anything. See, the passage that we're going to read today You'll be tempted to think, oh man, this is for rich people. I'm telling you, it's for every person in this room. Because every one of us puts something ahead of our relationship with Jesus. For some of us, it's what we talked about, a lover. Our kids, oh my gosh. Kids, oh, it's terrible to make them the number one in your life. They wind up hating you, and you wind up hating them. Your stuff, your reputation. There's all sorts of stuff that we put as something before Jesus. Well, Jesus is going to talk about that to us. And I don't want you to close your mind to think that that he's not talking to you. He is. And so uh, we're going to read in uh, Mark Chapter 2, we're going to read about the rich, young ruler. Thanks, God. We want you to stand as we read God's word. Jesus is going to be confronted by this guy. Now, I want you to know, listen to me. I want you to know that this message is important for every one of us because every one of us are going to be tempted with putting something before Jesus. Every one of us have no problem saying, I love Jesus, so long as Jesus doesn't mess with what I really love. You sacrifice your marriage. You sacrifice your children. You sacrifice everything that you put, anything that you put before Jesus. You sacrifice it. And so, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, Jesus has this interesting encounter with a rich dude. And it's one that, honestly, I've been haunted by. As I've been studying it this week, I've just been haunted by it, because I, I, I know I'm like this guy. 
verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not get false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciple, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Let's read this next verse together. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in this age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last first. This is the word of God. Amen. Have a seat. This is an incredibly important passage, especially for those of us who come to church regularly on Sundays. This is an important pass, passage for those of us who find ourselves reading our Bible, praying prayers, not going crazy. This is a very important passage for us. Because Jesus is confronting, he's touching something at the very heart of the matter. It says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now let's pause there for a second because that can be distracting if you don't understand what that means. So a guy comes up to Jesus, it's very plain. He's, he's a man of stature and wealth, and he's a man of morality. So he has two treasures. His treasure is his money, and his other treasure is his good deeds. He's a good guy. He's not like those people. No, 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 no. Those people deserve God's wrath. Those people deserve what they get. Those people, they're not, no, 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 he's not like them. He's a 
good person. And then he's got lots of money. He goes to Jesus and he says to Jesus something that's completely out of the ordinary. You could call a rabbi or a teacher, which is what a rabbi is. He's a teacher. You can call him anything. Wise rabbi. Knowledgeable rabbi. But you wouldn't call him good because good in the Hebrew idea was a word reserved for God. We say it all the time. We say what? God is good, right? Yeah, God is good. It's a connection that you make. In the Hebrew mind, they made that same connection. And so Jesus goes, I love it. Jesus gets all Brooklyn on him and he says, what you saying? Do you know something? Are you calling me God? He's provoking him. He doesn't want the guy to come to him with these, uh, with these flowery words. He wants them to weigh the words. Why you call me good? Only God is good. Do you know something that these other people don't know? He pokes them. Interestingly enough, the guy never calls him good again. You know the commandments, Jesus replies. You shall not murder. Jesus, at this stage, mentions a bunch of commandments, the, the last uh, six, he, uh, well, he alludes to one and then mentions uh, the other five. He never mentions the one through four. Interesting, right? Never mentions them. He says this, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, and honor your father and mother. So he rips off a bunch of commandments in no particular order, and he, interestingly enough, rather than saying covet, he tells, because he's a rich guy, he goes, don't defraud. Don't take advantage of anybody financially. Don't defraud. He comes to them. He comes to him and he says, these are the commandments that you should obey. And the guy's response is classic. He says, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. The word boy there is literally since he was bar mitzvahed. In other words, since he was a son, bar mitzvah simply means um, a son of the commandments. So he was old enough, about 13 years old. And so now he could take responsibility. Of, since I could take responsibility for myself, I've been keeping these commands. Jesus looks at him and loved him. Let's pause right there. This guy is going to walk away from Jesus. Jesus knows this. And Jesus looks at him with love. Now, we don't know how Mark knew that. We don't know that. It, did Mark look at Jesus and did, did Jesus give that kind of look? Have you ever looked at someone when you love, when you love them, you just give them that look? It's like, oh, I just love this person. We don't know if Mark said, man, you stared intently at him. Why? He goes, because I loved him. Oh, you love that guy? But he, why'd you let him walk away? You see, if I'm Jesus, and I have a bunch of ragtag followers, all of which, by the way, are unemployed because they left everything to follow Jesus, so there's not a whole lot of money, and a rich guy comes up to me and goes, hey, I want to follow you. I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a member. I'm like, cool beans. Come on, man. This sounds great. Let's do it together because you have resources that our ministry needs. Not Jesus, though. 
Jesus is interested more about his soul than he is about his resources. He says, he looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, I love this, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Okay, this is wild. There's a couple of things. One, Jesus is not angry with money, and this is not a universal uh, command that Jesus gives. In other words, Jesus was going right to the heart of his worship. You see, all of us worship something. Remember, I just pointed out some things that you worship. Maybe it's a lover. Maybe it's your stuff. Maybe it's your reputation. I don't know. But all of us worship something. And Jesus would call on us to run from that thing, to give that thing up. He pokes that guy. When uh, Nicodemus, who's wealthy, meets with Jesus, Jesus goes, you have to be born again. When um, Zacchaeus meets with Jesus, another man who's wealthy, Jesus says, you should give up about half of what you own to replace all that you've taken from others. So what, what's up with this deal that he's asking this guy to give up? Because listen to me. There's something that you think is your identity. What is it? Is it your sexuality? There's something that's your identity. What is it? Is, your, is it your religious duties? There's something that's your identity. What is it? Is it your reputation amongst others at home, in your church, at work? What is it? What's, what if Jesus was going to say, give all of that up, that you would be shocked? Notice, Jesus doesn't just say, give all of it up. He says, give it up, give it to the poor, you'll have riches in heaven, now come follow me. Jesus goes, I'll give you a trade, all of your stuff for me. And he says, not a good deal. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because asking him to give up that girl who was so fine was too much to ask. He went away sad because asking him to give up that reputation that lie that he was bestowing upon everybody else to make sure that they looked at He went away sad because it was too much to ask of him. He went away sad because asking him to give up his kids and give them into the hands of God was too much. I know far better how to raise my kids than Jesus. Asking him to put that relationship, what is your treasure? Jesus went to the heart of his treasure. What's yours? Asking him to give up that sin. He went away sad. Jesus looked at the disciples. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Pause. This is as countercultural a statement as you can make. In the Hebrew mind, riches meant God's favor on your life. In fact, for some of you right here, God can't get your attention unless he touches your money. 
Because you think this is the favor of God. This is the blessing of God. I've, I've never heard anybody come up to me and says, you know, last Friday I got a pink slip. I got uh, relieved of my job. What a blessing. Never heard that. But I've heard last Friday I got a raise. I got a promotion. What a blessing. We associate. We sandwich with. We believe that prosperity, financial, specifically financial prosperity, we believe that that's the hand of God in our lives. And that when we don't have it, I've never heard, I've never heard anybody go to God. <clears throat> God, you're giving me all of these finances. What's wrong with you? <laughs> never heard that. God, there's too much money. Have you forgotten who I am? Never heard that. Not once. You know why? Because, but I've heard a lot of people go, God, I don't have enough money to pay the bills. Where are you? Because we associate financial blessing with the hand of God. Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, he blows their minds. They don't even have a category in their brain to put this idea because of how closely they associated riches with God's blessing. Maybe you don't either. The disciples were amazed. For the rich, to, uh, the disciples were amazed at his word, at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a second. Now, if you've been around church for a while, they give two, um, two reasons to try to take the weight of this off of the text. They don't want the Bible to, to say what it means. And so... Uh, you'll hear teachers like me. When I say they, I mean teachers like me. We'll say things like, well, you know, camel is very, very close to the needle. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, camel is very, very close to a rope. It's a, in Greek, it's a very close proximity. So what Jesus really meant is that it's easier for a rope to get through a needle, which is super hard, but it can be done. It's super hard, but it'll happen if you, you know, really lick on it and twist it and do all that stuff. You could make that happen. Maybe do it one thread at a time. You could do it. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. There's another one that guys like me say. Well, there was this gate, and uh, it was at this uh, entrance of the city, and it was very, very low. And if you wanted to, it was called the eye of the needle. And if you wanted to get a camel through the gate, then the camel will have to go on its knees and shimmy, 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 and get through the gate. Very, very hard. But you could do it. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, is being absurd. He's trying to get his point across. You ever seen a camel? I rode one once. They're huge. To say they're huge is not really, it, 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 
a camel would not fit on this. It just, his head would go through the, the ceiling. Camels are massive beasts. And he goes, it's easier for that thing to get through the eye of a needle. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there's no chance. There's no chance. Beloved. And you go, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Boy, those rich people, they're in real trouble. Pause for a second, okay? You're rich. The person sitting in your seat is rich. You go, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm not rich. If you knew me, you would understand. I'm not rich. Let me ask you something. Did you have a choice of shirts to wear today? Like, did you have a choice between this shirt and that shirt? Yeah. You know what we call that? We call that rich people problems. That's rich people problems. Because if you're utterly poor, you have one shirt. You have, if you have anything to wear. Did your car break down at any point this week? You go, oh, man, that's the problem of the poor. No, it's not. It's rich people problems. Very few people in the world have a car that they personally own. Did anybody here this week go to McDonald's and have a chef prepare your meal and give it to you? That's rich people problems. Did anybody here, did anybody here go to a bathroom that was indoors that was indoors. In other words, you didn't have to go to an outhouse. You didn't have to go outside. Did you? Because most of the world doesn't know anything about that. You're in the top 10% richest people in the world. Easy. Easy. You're in the top 10% of the richest people in the world. Most of the people in the world get by on a dollar a day. If you're on welfare, you're doing better than most people in the world. And so, listen to me. This congregation applauds and laughs at the most inappropriate things. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Crickets. Welfare. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> All right. Stay focused. I don't mind your reactions, but... So, listen to me. Listen to me. You're rich. Jesus is talking to the person wearing your shirt. He says, he says, the chances for you getting into the kingdom of heaven are the same chances for a camel to go into a needle. Because there's stuff that you love. There are riches that you hold. There are things that you hold dear that Jesus can't hold a candle to in your heart. There are things that are far more important to you than Jesus. Beloved, let me ask you something. If Jesus fixed all of your problems, that means he gave you the money, he gave you the spouse, he gave you the house, he gave you the wealth. He gave you the comfort. <clears throat> if he gave you all of that, but didn't give you himself, would you call that heaven? If he took away your house, your spouse, your wealth, all of the stuff that we just talked about, but he gave you himself, 
Would you call that hell? Beloved, Jesus is everything. And whenever you put anything before Jesus, you have a better chance of squeezing an ant, a camel through a needle's eye than you do getting into heaven. We know this because of what the disciples asked right after verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? You know why? Because the disciples are religious. The disciples think that if they just stay clean, they'll get into heaven. The disciples think, listen, I, believe me, I do, so, I do enough funerals to know that in America, the only qualification you need to get into heaven is to die. You could have lived a, li- a hell, you could have been a hellion. You could have beat your wife, abandoned your kids, you could, but you're dead. You're, uh, he's in a better place. The only qualification you need to go to heaven is to die. talking about some heavy stuff here. Jesus says, they they ask him, then how does anyone get into heaven? Because we all know the way you get into heaven is by being good, having good, doing good. Remember, what this man had was he had riches and he had morality. Those were the two things. Do you remember? And now Jesus is poking at both, not just the riches, but the morality. The, 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 the guys are saying, the disciples are saying, what? how can you get into heaven if being good is not good enough? How do you get into heaven? Jesus looked at them. There's that look again. It's that look of love. With man, this is not possible. Stop. If you feel despair right now, there's no way I could get into heaven because I'm neither good nor do I have worldly wealth. Like, I'm, I'm the worst of the worst. If you're sitting here thinking that, you should know it is impossible for you to get into heaven. And if you're sitting here and you have a beautiful suit and tie and beautiful, your, your makeup is on just perfect and you come every Sunday and you read your Bible every day and you pray and you give an offering, if you do everything right, I need you to know it's impossible for you to get into heaven too. Impossible. You don't stand a chance. Because we don't get into heaven by being good. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. And there's our hope. The hope is, is that are you a parent and do you you find yourself to be a bad parent? Abandoned your kids so that you could use just one more? Listen to me. God saves bad parents. Are you a bad wife? Not loving your spouse the way you ought to? Good news, God saves bad wives. Are you a disobedient child? Dishonoring your parents? Good news, God saves disobedient children. Are you an addict who no matter what you do, you keep running back to, running back to, running back to, running back to? 
your thing. Good news. God saves dope fiends and crackheads and pill poppers and alcoholics. God saves you. He saves. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up because he needed to get his uh, brownie points. He wanted to make sure that he has his merit badges because he's religious. So are you. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied. And I love Jesus' merciful reply. He goes, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Along with persecution. That's coming too. And in the age to come, eternal life. Listen, as we, as we close this up, I want you to see that when you have your treasure, and I don't know what your treasure is. Is it your, is it your staying youthful and beautiful? Is it your good morality? What's your treasure? What do you run to for your righteousness? Is it, is it you want everybody to acknowledge you and you're willing to sacrifice everything at the altar of that? Is it your comfort? You just want to be left alone and comforted? I don't know. See, all of us have a treasure. All of us have a treasure. I, I wanted to say this just this way. When Christ is indispensable, stuff is disposable. When Christ is your all in all, everything else could be lost. I love my kids. I love my wife. I want to love Jesus more. Because if I love Jesus more, they'll get better love from me anyway. I love working here. I love, listen to me. I love you. I love serving you. I love being your pastor. And if Jesus takes it away, I want to love him more than I love you. And if I love him more than I love you, then I'll tell you hard things and not sugarcoat it for you. Recently, I'm no longer in like living hand to mouth. We've, you know, some other job opportunities have opened up and now I make a little bit more. I don't want to love my car. I don't want to love my bank account. I don't want to love any of it more than I love Jesus. But you know what the truth about me is? I do. Give me the right set of circumstances. I'll choose my stuff over Jesus anytime. That's a heartbreaker. It should be a heartbreaker for you too. When Christ is indispensable, stuff is disposable. But can I tell you the next part? When, when stuff is indispensable, Christ is disposable. When stuff is indispensable, Christ is disposable. It's why guys get clean, and then they have overtime, and you go, dude, are you going to the discipleship groups? No, 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 I don't have any time for that. Are you coming? I don't see you in Sunday service. No, no, I don't have any time for that. Are you serving in the soup kitchen? No, no, I don't have any time for that. I got I to gotta 
I got to make the money. I got to get the stuff. Because it was a choice between Jesus and stuff. And stuff won. You see, we have our treasure right here. It's right here. We open it up. And it's like, whoa. It's the treasure. The stuff that I absolutely love. And when my eyes are fixed on this, my eyes are off of Christ. I walk away sad every time. When the treasure of my life is the stuff of this world, I walk away sad every time. What's your treasure? Does it fit in the case? I bet it does. Jesus says, tell you what, take your treasure. Throw it away. Because anything that you're looking for in your treasure can only be found in Christ. Are you looking for comfort? Are you looking for comfort? Comfort can only be found in Christ. True comfort. True joy. Are you looking for pleasure? Pleasure that doesn't steal from you can only be found in Christ. Are you looking for reputation? Fame the name of Christ. And he'll take care of your reputation. Don't bother about your reputation. You worry about Christ's reputation. Are you look? Listen. It's Christ. It's in Christ and only in Christ. When Christ is indispensable, stuff is disposable. When stuff is indispensable, Christ becomes disposable. We're going to have a time in, we're going to partake of communion. We're going to have time reflecting and thinking about this. As we, as we do that, we're going to do two things. We're going to look at a confessional that I want you to think through. And then I want you to, um, as an act of worship, give your offering to the Lord. And I want, you to wa- I want to walk you through this confessional. Lord Jesus Christ, though being in very nature God, when you came to redeem us, you humbled yourself and made yourself nothing. Though you were rich for our sakes, you became poor, so that through your poverty, we might become rich, rich in Christ. We confess how unlike you we are in our attitudes, and actions. We strive for recognition from others, and we sulk and become bitter if we do not get it. We attend to our own needs and concerns, yet fail to care for others, except when it serves our purposes. Forgive us our sin and renew our hearts. Grant us to realize that we only achieve greatness and gain our lives by, let's read those three words together, giving them away. Work in us by the power of your Spirit so that we might become more like you. 
And so bring glory to our Father in heaven. Amen. So I want you to think back to your week. What's more important than Jesus? What is it? What is it? What's more important than Jesus? Now, what I want you to do throughout the week, and we can practice this even after we give the offering, I want you to practice something in your prayer time. Are you willing to do this? Practice a simple thing in your prayer time? Have a moment in your prayer time where you close your eyes and put your palms facing up. Would you do that with me? Just close your eyes and put your palms facing up. Now, what I want you to do as you put your palms facing up, I want you to see God put your marriage, your clean time, your car, your house, your clothes, everything that you have, just in your mind's eye, watch God put it in your hand. And thank him for everything that you see him put in there. Man, he's good. Good night. Clean time is so beautiful. A spouse is so wonderful. Children are fantastic. Finances are great. Thank you. Now, stay there in that posture. Then I want you to see him take it away. One by one. And tell him thank you. Thank him that he gave you whatever he gave you for the period of time that he gave you. Thank him that he knows what's best. Thank him that he is far better than the stuff that he puts in your hand and takes out of your hand. Thank him. And stay in that posture of gratitude. 